Welcome to the podcast of Grace Covenant Church, where we are transformed by God's grace, connected through relationships, and committed to service. So we're in our third week of a series called Five Words. It's talking about a blueprint for marriage. Um, it's called Blueprint for Marriage because uh, it's the way God designed it. It was drawn several thousand years ago. It's a simple it's a simple expression of words, but it's somewhat difficult to actually apply because it requires such a depth of commitment to it. But here's, here's what happened right over. Adam was without Eve, and it's not good for man to be alone. And, and then Eve was uh, presented to him, and so, okay, now that you're together, here's the purpose. Watch this. This is what it looks like. And so that's what we find in our early chapter, second chapter of the book of the Bible. Therefore, shall a man leave his father and his mother, and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Now, this passage is called a passage of primary reference, and the reason it's called that in, in Bible studies is because it is a reference to a definition of something that has uh, significance. It also, you get that label of primary reference when that definition transcends time and culture. So this is the blueprint that was drawn up, and then thousands of years later, both Jesus and the Apostle Paul, when asked about marriage, they go to this sentence and they repeat it word for word, verbatim. This is what it's supposed to look like, right? And we've called our series Five Words because uh, it's somewhat related to sports in that it's not unusual for some sports to just have maybe four to six I don't know, moves or swings or, you know, applications. And the difference between uh, a beginner and, and an expert is, is not that they know different moves or swings or applications. It's just the discipline and consistency of that. Marriage is not far from that. It's not complicated. There are about five things that we need to focus on, and it's, it's an issue of dedication and consistency, right? And um, it's, again, it's, it might be simple, but it's, it's certainly it's not easy. Um, before we move on to actually learning more about today's word, I wanted to remind you that we have a couple's checkup that we've provided. We did this in the summer, and then by popular uh, demand, we brought it back. This is uh, an international group that does uh, prepare and rich, and they do these, kind of, it's a diagnostic work. And so you just go to our website, click on that link, and you'll get a 25-30% discount going through our, this is the last day to get that discount. And it'll give you kind of, you and your, your spouse or your significant other, whatever that person might be, it'll, it'll help you with where you are in your communications, your ability to argue, uh, your expectations in finances. And anyway, there's about eight different uh, things to look at. So by all means, look at doing it. It's 100% confidential, but just to remind you, today is the last day. So that'll help. Marriage is a sacred thing, and sacred means set apart for a purpose. It's, it's over here, right? It's not like other things. That's what sacred means for the purpose of being able to unite a body, soul, and spirit. It's a place of protection and safety so that we can be like what God meant us to be, people that gaze out. It's not about us, not focusing in on ourselves, but rather gazing out and enjoying another human soul and to serve them. We're best when we're like Christ, when we're, when we're focusing outwards and serving other people. Now today, last week, we, our five words, last week was leave. It says leave, cleave, and become one with her, right? And so last week was leave. This week is the word cleave. And what I'd like, here's the outline, okay? What we're going to do is we're going to look at the, what, what the word cleave means. And that'll be somewhat simple, and, but it'll beg the question, if it's, if it's that easy to understand, why do few, so few people why can't we or why won't we cleave to one another? 
And then finally, uh, we'll answer the question, what needs to be done so that we can cleave? Okay, so there are just basically questions, three questions. The first one is, what, is, what does it mean to cleave? He shall leave his father and his mother, and he, shall cleave, he will cleave to her. Cleave is um, kind of an old King James Bible word that means to bond. It means to cement. It means to weld. Uh, a great little graphic would be if you ever took a shop class and you put a couple pieces of wood together. You, first, you sanded them. You made them smooth and, and took off all kinds of dirt or debris. And then you put some wood glue, put them in a clamp. And at least our shop instructor wanted to show the power of this adhesion so he would break this, this, this splinted board and it would break everywhere except on the splint. It was stronger than the board itself, and that's why Jesus says, what God has brought together, let no man separate. It, it's not made to separate. It's, it's, it's made to adhere, and that's it, right? It's made to bond. And so this idea of cleaving and bonding and welding to one another shows up at least in three ways in marriage that are especially exaggerated. And the first one would be trust, obviously, because relationships are built on trust. And in a marriage, this idea of, of bonding with each other is you're, you're trusting each other in levels that you wouldn't do anyone else because you've, you've made these promises. And the idea of trust is making yourself defenseless and susceptible and weak. It's exposing yourself at dangerous levels, progressively, mind you, okay? It's, mean, it's making your soul open to injury. And it, again, it's progressive. We're not very good at this. And so it takes some time and some practice, and the person that you're trusting is imperfect, and so are you. And so you're not supposed to trust anyone more than your mate, okay? And, and there are no secrets in a marriage. There are not supposed to be any secrets in a marriage because it's built on trust. Now, since we're new at this and we're likely to be clumsy and sometimes even vindictive, the next thing that bonding shows up to be is not just trust but forgiveness, in a marriage, you're going to forgive your mate more often, you know, quantitatively and qualitatively deeper than any other human being. Because of the vulnerability that you've already shown yourself in the context of trust, then forgiveness follows. And again, progressively. It's, it's something that's learned. It's something that requires you to try and fail and try and fail and try and maybe get something things right. So it's, it's trust, it's forgiveness, and then ultimately love and, and the love is supposed to be legendary. It's, it's supposed to be miraculous. It's supposed to, you're supposed to experience things in marriage that is uh, supernatural, that's a spiritual type of love that can't be explained. Um, Oswald Sander puts it this way. I like his quote. If what we call love doesn't take us beyond ourselves, in that graphic, beyond ourselves, it's not really love. If we have the idea that love is characterized as cautious or wise or sensible or shrewd, we've never taken, never taken to extremes, then we've missed the true meaning of love. That describes affection and brings us a warm feeling, ooh, but it's not the true and accurate description of love. So true love takes us beyond ourselves. It, 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 is, it is not described by these adjectives about being safe and predictable. It is daring it, even, even reckless, it's dangerous. And so how, how can you have that type of love with another human being? Where do you get your courage to do that? Where does safety come from? Well, again, in the context of the Bible and the way we're supposed to be doing it, according to the blueprint, is to, is to have our faith in God and our reliance on God, our strength in God, our courage as the, in God as our source of safety and the way we feel like we're significant. Okay. 
In other words, uh, we're going we're gonna to find ourselves strengthened. We're going to get this from another source, not from ourselves, not from our mate. We're going to find our power and our courage and our ability to forgive again in our relationship with God. And that's why as our relationship with God grows, so does our potential and marital depth. So if we, let me say it another way, if our, our safety and our significance are found in the promises of God, then it's, we have a cascading or overflowing effect that can go into our marriage. If we are uh, if, if we spend more time um, focusing and being concerned on what God says about us then, and less concerned about our fears or our insecurities, then that's when we're going to experience this real love. If we can find contentment, listen, if we find our contentment in being known by God, and that's where we rest, then we can feel fine if we are forgotten or passed over or overlooked. So it's, it's from this external supernatural source, we're bringing faith into our marriage. So and that, that's what cleave means, is this you know, trust and forgiveness and love, and it's coming from and being empowered by God's Spirit. Why is it that, here's the question, right? Why is it that we, we can't or won't cleave to one another? And I put both on there because sometimes you, you've, we can't get it or we won't get this type of intimacy. Because this is what God wants for us. This is the design that we would have a fellow worshiper, our closest friend, and a passionate lover in this, in this mate, this husband, this wife. And he says that, uh, he promises that we would have life and life abundantly. And yet, if you look around, it's, you don't see that much in this, in this context of marriage. Here, let me kind of confuse things, or I guess make it more perplexing, is if, if, if God wants this and he has a, right, a blueprint for it, then you would think that people that were raised in the church and know Bible passages and that sort of thing, by memory, you'd think they would have noticeably better marriages, but they don't. There doesn't, I don't see the, the you know, the, I guess the logical progression here that there are some people that know a lot of verses, but they're uh, and, and they can recite them, and they, I, guess, I guess it's a definition of knowledge because they're not doing it. And so their, their marriages plateaued early, and there's very little trust and superficial forgiveness at best, and the love is nothing more than affection, and they've settled for that. Why does that happen for people that should know better? And then, watch, let me just, again, com complicate it still more. Some people, they don't have much of a walk with God. In other words, it's brand new, it's vibrant, it's six months to two years old, and when they come in, and they, they get it. And they, and, they, and they absolutely have, you know, glued themselves, cleaved with their mate more effectively. How come they get it and other people don't? How come they have such a heavy ballast Right? And when the storms of life, whether it's employment or physical issues or whatever it might come, they just, they're stable in all of that. That's the question I want us to look at today. Is if we know what cleaving is and we know what marital intimacy could be, then how come some people have it and some people don't? Here's the answer. It's, it's the ability to, ap to actually apply the Bible promises, right, or your faith Two specific things that give power to you or have power over you better. In other words, there's a fair amount of people that are churchgoers and they, again, they're adequate with their Bibles, but they have this generic 
faith, it's almost like a cloud, you know, and it, and it, maybe it's for forgiveness and that's where it ends. But a person that has, that experiences the intimacy and the, and the, and the closeness and the bonding, that's a person that is trusting in the promises of God to define them. They're, they're trusting in what God says about them, not right how somebody else has chosen to like some event, you know, like an ex-husband or something, right? An event or an experience uh, or their own personality. That's who some people let that define them, and some people say, no, 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 I'm gonna let God and his promises and his nature define me. And that's the difference between people that experience cleaving and people that don't. Is they is they, they are specifically applying their faith to their life, to uh, their psychology, right? Their spirit. Okay, let me, let me um, speak it in another way. Okay, cleaving, if, if, okay, if cleaving is gluing. So what is probably the most important part of the gluing process? You know, if you've ever, if you follow directions, let's just assume that, that you read the, the label. It'll say this. It says, make sure the surface is clean, right? Before you do anything, you have to make sure the surface is clean. And that's what a person who is experiencing good cleaving, good bonding, is said, I'm going to let God clean that up for me. Right? I'm going I'm to let that surface area be dealt with specifically by his, um, his promises that he's made specifically about that. Uh, so that, like, the, you know, if you're just painting a house, the hardest part is getting the house ready to paint, the scraping and the sanding and the cleaning. God says, okay, on your soul, I'll let, I'll let these passages apply to that. Uh, let's see, La- last week we looked in our five words. The first word was leave, and we said, what's the greatest gift a parent, you know, could give a child? When they cut all the strings and they say, be free. Just, just be free to be you. That's, that's a gift. That's a wedding gift. You know what the best wedding gift you could give your husband or your wife? A clean surface. One that says, I, I don't, I'm not, I've dropped all my baggage or I'm working on dropping my baggage. I, wanna, I want you to have the best possible surface to clean. That's what it means to live by faith when it applies to our relationship, especially in the context of marriage. Here's another way of looking at it, okay? If you can't look at it like, like gluing, if you can't look at, at, you know, these other ways of defining what cleaving is and what the problem is, is applying your faith, here's a great video. This could probably help you understand what maybe the issue is. It's just, there's all this pressure, you know? And sometimes it feels like it's right up on me and I can just feel it, like literally feel it in my head and it's relentless and I don't know if it's going to stop. I mean, that's the thing that scares me the most is that I don't know if it's ever going to stop. Yeah. Well, you do have a nail in your head. It is not about the nail. Are you sure? Because, I mean, I'll bet if we got that out of there. Stop over... trying to fix it. No, I'm not trying to fix it. I'm just pointing out that maybe the nail is causing. You always do this. You always try to fix things when what I really need is for you to just listen. No, see, I don't think that is what you need. I think what you need is to get the nail See, you're out. not even listening now. Okay, fine. I will listen. Fine. It's just, sometimes it's like, there's this achy, I don't know what it is. And I'm not sleeping very well at all. And all my sweaters are snagged. I mean, all of them. 
That sounds really hard. It is. Thank you. Ow! Oh, come on! Ow. If you would just don't try to see things my way. Do I have to keep on talking till I can go on? Been on that couch. Have you been on that couch? Been on that couch. It's the nail. It, it, you have to deal with the things in your life that motivate you, the energy behind the arguments, the, 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 the argument underneath the argument. You have, to face, you have to face those things. You cannot defeat what you refuse to face. You cannot defeat what you refuse to face. In, in the context of marriage, the beauty of marriage is you, you have a relationship where you can have great arguments. And talk about things that you fear or that define you, right, or have power over you. Dan Allender is somewhat of a famous author and counselor in marriage. He writes this. He says, look, a marriage is only as good as a couple's ability to argue, to talk about the nail. My insert. Husband and wife who fail to have hard, painful conversations are neither alive nor honest. You, can't, you cannot defeat what you fear to face. Because and, it's, and you take it everywhere. Yogi Berra said, wherever you go, there you are. You know what that means? That means you can't run from you. And so people do this, like, I'm out of here. I'm going to move to another town. And when you get there, you're there. You know what? I just need another place to work. And then you get your new job, and guess who showed up with you? You. Another relationship, and there you are again. Because the real issue is is you turning in on yourself and allowing something within the context of your existence to define you, something within you to, to find security and, and, or safety and significance. I will be significant within myself. I will find safety. I will cause safety to happen around me. And so most of your arguments are about deeper things, okay? It's the things that you're allowing to well, I keep saying it, define you. It's the motivating forces. It's the thing that's to drive you. And so a perfectionist, right, it, it, wherever he goes, there he is. And he'll always be there because he thinks, right, by being in control of everything and ma making certain that all things are done according to my plan, then there will be, what, maybe safety. Then it'll work out. They will guarantee our results. And that's why they feel like they have to do that. Or sometimes they do that because then it'll look good on me. You're right, significance. It'll look good if I'm in charge of this thing and it goes according to plan. People that are people pleasers, right? They, they'll sacrifice their friends and family to do some event or at work or whatever it might be. They, they save their best for strangers. And so they put on something for PTA or whatever it might be and they come back and their house is kind of a wreck and their relationships are at home are neglected. Why? And what's, what's the nail that's so obvious? They want people to like them, right? Every sweater has a snag, see? And, and if other people see this, but we can't see it in ourselves because it's such a primary method of, def of definition. Here's, here, in our series, in these five words, there's a stop and pause on this cleave because, because on this one, we find out that we are broken, and the break is deeper and more vast than we thought because it is, it is, 
It is the essence of who we have allowed ourselves to be. It's the thing that's giving us, we've allowed to have power. And if we don't face this thing, we'll never defeat it. We, get, we have these nails. Where do they come from? They, uh, they can come from, uh, you can inherit them. Right? You can get them from family. You can have experiences. You uh, can drive nails by your own choice. You can drive your own nails into your, into your head. But you, the question is, what are you going to do about it? And so some of you, right, you're like, uh, I will not be like my uncle or my father or uh, my mother. I will not do that. And you're afraid because it's drifting towards that. Because what are you going to do about it? You, you don't fall far from the tree. What tree? You're a chip off the old block. What block? What, are you just going to hope? Hope that something will change? You believe in God, the, the, just this, the fog God, right? It's just generally what faith is. That's not... <laughs> Faith is applying it. it you, you have to do something because these things are so deep within us. They motivate us. We don't even know. There was a, a funny uh, Top Gear's a, a kind of a road and track show, and the lead actor for the new Stephen Jobs movie is up, and he's a car guy, and so they're getting to know each other. And uh, the lead interviewer asks him, now, wait a second. If I understood your biography right, you've, you're cool. <laughs> You're quite a guy. Uh, let me see. You have a father that's German and a mother that's Irish. He goes, no, it's, it's more than that. I was, my early years were in Germany, and my, I grew up in Ireland. So it's not just the way I was made, but it was the way where I was raised. And so the interviewer said, oh, that's got to be funny because now everything has to be perfect, but tomorrow. <laughs> and he said, yeah. He says, you know, I'm, I'm really bent on efficiency, but I'm super reckless. Okay, Good. What are you going to do about that? Are, are you going to let that define you? Or are you going to just go to a default and say, well, there it goes, and then everybody else has to live around my personality that I inherit? How many sweaters have to be snagged? Let's talk about this one thing. What are you going to do? Because the question bigger than this is when, when, we, saw, when we see how deep the root goes right, in these things that motivate us, and that are, that are we're having these arguments over and over again, and it's not about that. It's what's What's driving it? Where are you going to get the courage to do something and face that? And then let's just pretend you do. Where are you going to get the power to change? Because real change, <laughs> real change is radical. And if you think, you know, years of being angry or critical or lazy or sulking is going to go away just by, I guess, acknowledging it, it doesn't. And the stages of life, if they're anything, they're cruel. Growing old is not for cowards. And if you are a person who parents by fear, and so most of your decision-making and your compulsions are based on fear, and you think, you know, if you're in, you know, if you, then they'll be safe, right? Because you'll be in control, or maybe they'll look good on you, whatever it might be. I want you to know, when they're young, and toddlers, there's a limited amount of fear and probably a maximum amount of control. But as the children get older, there's, the consequences are greater. And, you, and sometimes you have these flashbacks of when you were that age, and that's when you made some decisions that were regretful or shameful. And so, see, the energy levels getting turned up. And now we're having these huge blow-ups, right, about a nail. And even your child's going, why are you getting so angry about something so minor? 
because you're defining yourself like as a parent that's never going to let that happen to my child. And they want to, let's talk about the nail, mom. No, there's no nail. How, how do you, you know, how do you apply this? How do you, where's your faith now? Right. So it, it you know, even growing old physically is difficult. If you are known for and are, got your, I guess, value in being attractive, radiation, gravity, they never have a bad day. And, and somewhere along the line, you're going to have to make a decision whether you're just being responsible for the body God gave you or whether it's gotten into compulsion because you need to stay and look the way you used to look. It's... Marriage is a place where those sorts of things come out in the open regularly. And often we don't even know what motivates us, but maybe people around us do, the people that love us and the people are exposed to us. And we have to make this decision. Okay, do we have the courage to face this and do we have the power to do something about it? Now, just to, just to review, a great marriage is one that is leaving their parents behind and they're bonding to one another. And bonding means you have to have a clean surface. <laughs> Junk-free, baggage-free, nail-free. And that, that is how, how do, now what do we do to do that? What do we need to do to get to that clean surface? What do we need to do to cleave? Seems, you know, some of this is obvious at this point. Yeah, identify maybe what's happening. Why are we having these, these reoccurring things? What's motivating us? Name the nail. And, th- and then... This is, this is what I've been referring to. Instead of having this kind of a generic faith in God who created all things and is watching and is rooting you on, <laughs> provided a, a, a Savior for you, it's actually taking those promises of God or maybe sometimes just the character and the nature of God and specifically targeting them to these fears and these energies that motivate you. Okay, in other words, in other words, uh, it's, it's like we have an illness and God has a very specific cure for that. And what happens in marriage, this is the beauty of marriage, is, is marriage like brings out those things. You get every, you know, the husband and wife, they get to see it, but they also get to be the part that applies the medicine, right? That brings very specific actions of faith towards that healing process. That's why I just love that quote on the bottom of your page. I love not the way so much the way she danced with my angels, but the way the sound of her name could silence my demons. It is in marriage that a a husband and a wife say, let's go hunt some nails. Let's clean this up. Let's go. I'm never, I'm not, I'm not going to reject you, right? I'm going to forgive you. So let's go get them. Let's go, Right? Because listen, friends, God does not, his ambition for you is not to make you nice. It is to make you new. He wants you to be born again. He doesn't, he's not going to make you happy. Okay, this is the wrong church, if that's where you're coming to hear that. He is going to make you holy. And you're going to like holy. You are. Yeah, the, the journey's not so nice. But you're going to like holy because it's, it's you turning out, not being self-absorbed and selfish. It's turning out and, and being able to gaze and enjoy what God has provided for you and other human beings in your life and how you can serve them. 
And you, you, get that, you get there by finding those things that motivate you, finding those things that you've defined, your, where you're running for safety or, or significance, and you, and you kill them with these promises of God or attributes of God. Let me give you some examples. I'll, I'll pick one that's maybe easiest to grasp. Uh, people with addictions, right? I'm not picking on them. I, they're just, it's just easy to see this. A person with an addiction, it's easy for them to define themselves as an addict, right? And, and when they look at themselves, if they look at their souls in the mirror, they see themselves as nothing more than a bag of shame and regret, and so they live their lives with their heads hanging down, and they're not real good in relationships because sometimes they don't feel worthy or sometimes they're just too proud and insecure, and they reflect it that way. And here, because they're defining themselves, they're letting this have the power. And so they make ridiculous, usually relationally suicidal choices because that's their definition. But, but, listen, if they would just look at the Bible and see what he's already said and promised... I mean, it says in the Bible, this is why you read it, and this is why you, your, your mate goes and finds this passage and says, look, it says right here, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. None. And later on, it says in that same chapter of Romans chapter 8, it says, this is, who will bring a charge against God's elect? Who? No one can. No thing can bring a charge against God's elect. It's Jesus who justifies, and he's going to be your defense attorney. And so if a person starts spending more time thinking about that than than their regrets and their shame and their remorse and their pattern, then they hold their head up and the nails fall. The the, the nails fall. A, A person that is a people pleaser and usually a mate is on the short end of that. And then finally, again, this is this, this power of the mate. That by the speaking of your name, it causes your demons to shut up. Your mate says, hey, I found, a, I found a passage for you, honey. Look, here's one. Look at this. Look at Psalm 73. Look, it says, whom have I in heaven but you, right? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. That's where I find my safety. That's where I'm significant, Right? Whom in all of heaven do I have but you? Honey, I'm going to put this on a couple post-it notes, and I'm going to put it around the house, and I want, I think, I want you and I to quit caring about what anybody else thinks, whether they like us or not, or if we'll ever be forgotten or remembered. And we, and we can just think about this. Who do I have in heaven but you on earth? Look at the next sentence. My flesh and my heart might fail, okay? But God is the strength of my heart and the portion of and my portion forever. After the supernova and everything's gone, right, I'm going to still have this. God is still going to be ruling heaven and I'll be with him. That's where there's security. Nothing can happen to me because this passage is being applied to my need for people liking me. I don't care anymore. And now, since I'm facing out and enjoying what God has described me to be, now I can serve. Now I can enjoy other people. Because now I'm not af- uh, you know, afraid or needing. All- Did you listen to this just as an attribute of God? Just take note of this. In the, in the book of Revelation, that's the last book in the Bible, and it's about final judgment. And finally, justice will prevail, and no one's getting away with anything. Okay? But after all, all the mess is cleaned up, it says that God gives us, every one of his children, an individual, specific name just for them. There's, he, he knows you. He knows you so well 
that he has the descriptive term that no one, no created thing will know, and it's attached to you. Just think about, again, the, the nature of God, that he would care that much about you, that he would have a name for you. And if we find ourselves content with him knowing us at that level, then we would be content if we are, if we are right, forgotten and overlooked. Because now we're performing to an audience of one. Fear-based parents, right, they just, they just serve a small God that doesn't care much and is not very strong, and so they've got to take on those roles. It's, it's about what you believe specifically and how you apply it. So in your study notebooks, you know, in your groups together, there's some questions, but here's what I want to add to that. And this is just between the husbands and wives or the relationships that are going. Here's what I want you to do. This is going to be tough, okay? And, and you, you know, just be nice to each other. But once you ask your husband or your wife or your fiancé or your boyfriend or girlfriend, ask them, uh, what, what's, what's the nail? What's in my life that keeps coming up again and again? Why do we kind of have the same argument and we're only taking a break from it just to rest? What, what is it that you think is motivating me? Something maybe I'm, I either fear or defines me. That's the first question. That could take a while. And the second one is, hey, honey, do you think that maybe we could go through and find a passage or a story in the Bible that tells us about the nature of God and his love for us or a promise of God that says otherwise? And then I could, you and I, we could brainwash me. See, we could brainwash me to start meditating on that truth instead of this truth that is the result of some experience that I might have had, something that I might have been raised to believe or something that's in my own head that's rattling around? Could you and me brainwash me to believe what God says is true? That's what marriage is. That's how cleaving takes place. It takes a long time. It's a fun thing to do over time because it hurts less. Or, no, no, that's not, not true. You get used to the pain. That's what I meant to say. You get used to the pain. When Jesus left, before he left, he, was, he met with his, his uh, closest friends and he told them, I'm going to go back to the Father. And they all, right, uh, rightly so, became afraid and thought that was a terrible thing. But Jesus said, no, 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 no. Listen, I'm doing that so the Spirit could come, and he'll be greater because he can actually indwell your soul. Friends, Jesus didn't send his Spirit to indwell your soul to tuck you in and, and make you feel comfortable. God sent his Spirit to earth the same reason he did 3,500 years ago. It was to, you know, in Egypt... He sent the Spirit of God to kill gods, idols. He sent the Spirit of God to do what Moses couldn't do or any man could not do, and that is to kill all these false gods in a way that was both demonstrative and humiliating. He's still doing that. These things that define us, they're idols. These things that motivate us, they're false gods. And when a, a person that is able to experience the abundant life that he promised, that God promised, is able to take these specific attributes of God's or promises of God and by his spirit go in and say, grace will transform. The gods, all false gods are the same, right? It's, you don't have to go back to 
you know, the ancient Near East. It's the same pattern everywhere. You could study anthropology. It's in your soul as well. You serve a false god because you think you're going to get something out of it. Then the idol says, no, 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 you serve me. And then the idol kills you. (laughs) And that's why the first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me, that is the greatest expression of freedom that you'll ever know. I am the Lord your God who set you free from Egypt. Don't have any other gods before me. Let me be the thing that defines you and that empowers you. God is a painter and you're his palette. Let him paint. God's spirit is a killer of the things you fear. Let him fight. Let him fight and kill these things for you. You could be the person where you watch, walk hand in hand, husband and wife, and behind you in your lineage, and behind you, it's just it's like a carpenter with a hole in his, in his utility belt, right? It just nails everywhere because you decided not to believe in the, this, I don't know, generic God, but you said, I'm going to take these promises for what they say, and I'm going to take these attributes of God as I've known him better, and I will not be defined by anything outside of God's promises. Let him fight. Let him rule your life. And watch what happens to your marriage. It's supposed to be something that's a little bit frightening. Loving at depths and intimacy and levels of vulnerability that are epic. Stories should be told, books should be written about the love that you have for your husband or your wife. This is how to get it. Cleave. Lord Jesus, who do we have in heaven but you? And earth has nothing that I desire besides you. Let let that be the center of our whole soul. That my flesh and my heart might fail, the earth may soon destruct, but the strength that I have is the strength I gain from you. Lord, I know that you are hoping and your ambition is to take the filthiest and the feeblest of us and turn us into dazzling and radiant and, and immortal creatures that pulsate with energy and joy and wisdom and love that we could never even imagine, that we would reflect back at a smaller scale the boundless power and the goodness of your Son. And Lord, we know this process is long and it is painful, And this is what we desire. We desire for our lives what you desire, nothing less than we would be in your image. We pray this with great expectation and courage and hope. In Jesus' name, amen. For more information about Grace, visit our website at grace360.org.